I'm Tom Tate, and this is the Power Time Podcast. What's up, Power Players? Welcome back to the Power Time Podcast. This is an audio program for gamers of all ages. It is an exploration of the history of Nintendo, one issue of Nintendo Power at a time. I'm your host and guide, Tom Tate, and I've been called out of internet hibernation. So I want to give a quick shout out to Bill. Check out his YouTube channel at the Whiskey Dictionary. Phil, aka Imaginary Nomad, host of the D&D podcast, Botched. I want to give a shout out to Kid Curdy, a longtime listener, and Thomas, who recently popped into the now defunct Power Time Podcast Facebook community just to say, Tom, please come back. I want to thank you all. You've been pushing me to kind of get back behind the mic. And I'm happy to say that I'm back. I've been working two jobs this past year. I've been teaching uh, part-time a night class at a local college, uh, and I have my full-time job. And I did a bit more traveling for work this year, all while trying to wrangle three kids at home with my wife. It's been a bit of adjust- an adjustment year for us. Uh, just kind of getting uh, getting a grasp on life stuff. Uh, and I didn't have my recording space. Uh, it was converted to a nursery. And just in November-ish, uh, I was able to get that space back. So now I have a place where I can record podcasts and create content. So content creation and podcasting took a backseat in 2018, but I'm super, super optimistic about 2019. And I'm really excited for some stuff that I'll be sharing next week. Uh, it's partially related to Power Time, but it's a new project project that I'm going to be working on. And on the power time front, I think I can commit to at least one episode a month. That's going to be my goal. I will definitely do my best. Uh, if there are non-power, Nintendo power issue type of episodes or is different types of content that you think I should be creating uh, that I could pump out a little bit faster, let me know. You can reach me on Twitter at yo powertime. Y-O Power Time. Uh, If you're brand new to the show and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I just want to say welcome. You can check out the archives. Lots of fun stuff to dig into if you're into Nintendo and Nintendo Power. If you're not new, I want to thank you again for staying subscribed and coming back uh, for more episodes. I hope that you enjoy this one. I truly, truly appreciate your support. I am very excited to get back behind the mic, uh, but this is a wildly packed issue. There's a lot to discuss, so we got to get started. Enough rambling. We're going to flash back now to September of 1991. So it's back to school time. So my mom, she used to pack me Lunchables. Uh, you remember Lunchables? Uh, those were those little uh, plastic containers where everything was kind of separated out. So you had your crackers and your ham and your cheese and little bite-sized, uh, bite-sized snacks. My mom used to pack me these Lunchables and I used to have a Where's Waldo SpaghettiOs in the little thermos. And I was shocked that they would stay hot, you know, all throughout the day. Uh, and sometimes she would write a little note on the napkin, right? Like a little nice note on the napkin. And unbeknownst to her, I was reading a bit more than just her notes at lunchtime. I was smuggling in my September 1991 issue of Nintendo Power because it featured the evolutionary, the revolutionary Super Mario World. This was the game that changed it all for me. Uh, This was the recently shipped, not yet obtained for me, Super Nintendo Entertainment System flagship title. Uh, Incredible, incredible game. We're going to dig into it. But first, let's take a look at this cover. So on the cover of volume 28 of Nintendo Power, still $3.99 in the United States and $4.50 in Canada, we have Super Mario World. The tagline here is Yoshi and Mario fly super high, super in air quotes. Uh, Features, other features, we have Star Wars, Final Fantasy Adventure. And really, that's all you need. That's all you need to sell this cover. You have a picture of Mario with his yellow cape, brand new accessory. Uh, The animation style is a bit different than Super Mario 3, which gamers were used to. But then you have him riding on this dinosaur, this green thing. Looks like a dinosaur, I don't know. Uh, Some type of reptile character. 
you're definitely curious as a kid. You're curious, like what what is this? Very cartoony, very colorful. Colorful uh, in the background, it it kind of has this uh, pink and purplish hue uh, around him. Uh, and then uh, also in the background, we have the ocean stage, right? So you have those dolphins, one of the coolest stages uh, in in the game. And we're going to be digging into this. Uh, I am super pumped. Uh, the source for news and strategies straight from the pros, of course, right at the bottom of the issue. And it has that official Nintendo seal of quality. Very, very important. You want to make sure that you're getting the official Nintendo magazine. And that's what you're getting with Nintendo Power. So what is Yoshi? We have no idea. As gamers, we have no idea what Yoshi is. What is this yellow cape? Let's dig in and find out. So turning the page, uh, we pop open this magazine. We have Powerline. So Powerline is kind of this quick note from the editor just to let you know, what will you expect in this issue? So we have our first look at Super Mario World. But if you've been following along with the podcast, you know we've, we've taken a few looks so far. But this is our first real look after the release of the Super Nintendo. We have NES Showcase. The NES is still selling like hotcakes. I mean, those those games are still flying off the shelf and people still want more NES content. Super Nintendo has not been a proven uh, console just yet. You know, parents have to be sold on this. Uh, Smash TV, Worm, Kickmaster, and Star, World, Star Wars for NES. And then for Super Nintendo, we'll take a look at Castlevania Four, Final Fight, an all-new action game, and Sim City. Uh, Game Boy Showcase. So we'll take a look at Final Fantasy Adventure and Tecmo Bowl. Flipping the page, we have our table of contents, uh, a lot of repeats from what I just talked about, uh, but we will take a look at the classic sections of Nintendo Power. We have Nestor's Adventures, Classified Information, Counselor's Corner, Now Playing, Pack Watch, Player's Pulse, NES Achievers. Uh, this, again, 99 pages in this issue. Uh, this was a packed magazine. So without further ado, uh, let's not delay. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump into our first featured cover story on none other than Super Mario World. You've never been anywhere like Super Mario World. It is the setting for the latest greatest adventure of the Koopa crushing champ Mario, and it's all new for the Super NES. Jump into the action as Mario takes on a sidekick, learns a ton of new tricks, and searches for the princess in the land of the dinosaurs. This is Super Mario World for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. The first page here, again, we just have this super colorful illustration. It's packed with characters. So we have all the Koopa kids. We have Bowser. We have Yoshi. We have Mario on his, his, uh, with his yellow cape riding on Yoshi. We have Luigi uh, with a yellow cape as well. Uh, we have Princess Peach. Um, we have all different types of enemies. Uh, I, I think I see Toad too uh, at some point in the background. Um, and then we have a castle in the background too and Bowser's Fortress. So it's just packed, right? It is packed with uh, excitement, new characters, adventure. Uh, we also have a little call out box here, Super Mario Nose Adventure. So in case you were completely sleeping under a rock, you know that this is not Mario's first day on the job. Uh, we have a little call out here that goes through his previous titles, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers 2, which we know uh, was actually a port of a Japanese game, Super Mario Brothers 3, and Super Mario Land for the Game Boy. So it talks a little bit about these games. Uh, I guess if, if you were brand new to the series, uh, you would get a quick kind of rundown of his previous titles. We also learn a bit about Mario's different abilities. So we have the Super Mushroom and the Fire Flowers. Those are back, but new to the series is the Cape Feather. And if you've played this game, you know that the Cape Feather uh, gives you the cape. It allows Mario to fly upward and drift or float across the levels. A really interesting mechanic. Uh, took some skill to master and then you can do a ground pound attack. This was kind of like the primitive ground pound move where you can drive Mario down to the ground and uh, he would have this little uh, percussive impact uh, that would uh, affect the enemies around him. Uh, we also get introduced to Yoshi. We'll talk a little bit about him in this episode. The headline here is a star is born. Yoshi, Yoshi, Yoshi. 
Um, so it's exciting to learn more about Yoshi, to see more illustrations of him, to see screenshots. Uh, we also see these screenshots of how he can devour enemies. Uh, we learn how 10 red apples produce a super mushroom and two pink apples produce a bonus coin and a green apple gives you 20 seconds on the timer. So not only can you consume and devour the enemies, you can eat these apples uh, that are throughout the levels, not in too many levels, but throughout certain levels. Um, and I, I actually, I knew about the red apples as a, as a kid. Like I knew that the red apples gave you a mushroom, but I, I never actually realized that the other color apples had these different effects. I don't think I ever noticed that the green apple gives you 20 seconds on the timer, but that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, there's also a note here about the different color Yoshis and how you can discover more about them in the secret world Star World. Uh, so Star World is one of the coolest features of Super Mario World. Um, you can unlock it. You can go through the stage. And after you go through Star World, um, which actually can portal you to different places throughout the map. So it's kind of like this little gateway world. Uh, there's secret bonus stages uh, at the end of Star World, which were a lot of fun. Uh, so they reveal a little bit about that in this, but not everything. Uh, so turning the page, the next two-page spread showcases all of the various creatures and enemies in Super Mario World. So this is uh, kind of looking at all the different characters that you'll be introduced to. We have Bowser at the center. Uh, we also see your typical foes. We have Goombas, Koopas, Baboms, Thwomps, Boo. Uh, there are new enemies here like Monty Moles. We have Dino Rhinos, Wiggler, Rexes, Charging Chucks. I would have loved to be uh, on the team at Nintendo of America who was able to help uh, translate some of the uh, Japanese names for enemies. Uh, that must have been such a great job. It's like, oh yeah, that'll be Monty Bowl and that'll be Charging Chuck. Um, but I love Charging Chuck with the uh, football helmets. Uh, those were cool characters, right? You have your football character and the guy who threw the baseball. Uh, we have the Sumo Brothers as well. They would stomp down and they would uh, cause thunderbolts to come down to the ground. Really awesome character design and really awesome uh, illustrations here in Nintendo Power. So I would definitely encourage you to check out the Retro Mags link in the show notes for this episode to take a look at this actual issue because the illustrations are great. Uh, paging through, if, even if only you page through uh, the actual Super Mario World section, uh, there are really fantastic illustrations and really fantastic uh, screen art for you to check out for this particular issue. So turning the page, the next spread has the full map for Super Mario World. This is not the stylized hand-drawn map, but this is the actual 16-bit Super Nintendo World map in all of its glory. And it's really funny because you can see little black borders around each section of the map. So the editors of the magazine clearly had to piece together individual screenshots in a very, very archaic way. Because remember, this is pre-Photoshop. This is pre-simple digital editing. They most likely had to print out photos and piece them together, actual physical photos and piece them together to create this spread. Uh, and, and that's some hard work, but it looks fantastic. So just check that out. So next, let's just kind of jog the old nostalgia noggin. I'm going to read off the worlds and see if you can recall them in your mind as I'm reading off the titles of the different worlds uh, throughout the game. Uh, I'm going to go through the map. We start off on Yoshi's Island. This is where Yoshi has already left his home to start the quest. So if you remember, Yoshi is the one who starts this actual quest. And you start in Yoshi's home with a note from Yoshi that he's gone out uh, into the wilderness and, and you follow him. The second area is Donut Plains. Uh, I guess because it's shaped like a donut with a body of water in the in the middle. I never really thought about that as a kid, but that would make sense. After that is Vanilla Dome. So you go into the primary uh, underground world and the music, fantastic music, the Vanilla Dome theme, uh, really enjoyable. The fourth area is the Twin Bridges. With only one bridge being shown, the Cheese Bridge, there's a note that the Butter Bridge will appear after the Vanilla Fortress is gone. So if you've played through, you'll remember that. The fifth area is the Forest of Illusion. So I actually played Super Mario World not too long ago. Uh, I played it in 2018 uh, or maybe the end of 2017 when I got the Super Nintendo Classic. And I definitely got hung up trying to figure out the Forest of Illusion. It is still very, very tricky. Uh, so there are some different 
paths that you could take and some secret exits that help you navigate through the forest of illusion. The sixth area is the chocolate island. And the seventh area is Valley of Bowser, which is hidden at first in the center of a circle of rocks in the water. Uh, It's so much fun looking back at this particular map. Tons of great memories. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to share a memory from some of my friends over at New Game Plus Podcast, and we'll play some music, and I'll be right back. My name is Dustin. My name is Kenny. I'm Nolan. And we are the hosts of a retro gaming podcast called New Game Plus. And we have memories of the great Super Mario world. Who wants to go first? I'll hop in. Take it. So my best memory of Super Mario world were the mechanics. I was really young when I played it. My friend owned it. I didn't have it. So all my experience was at a friend's house. But the first time I played it, that was the first time that I really felt in control of a character. And it made me fall in love with like fluid gameplay and mechanics. And like playing the game later in life, I really see how the Mario uh, franchise and creators really mastered like handling of a character and gameplay. Well, we've talked before on our show that for platformers, you've got to have tight handling and some don't and you feel that and it makes it a a rough game. Yeah. Super Mario World has those tight mechanics. Even someone who's not good like Kenny and I can land from (laughs) platform to platform. Yeah. So fluid. I I can't agree more. Uh, Good handling in a platformer is absolutely essential. One of my fondest early memories of Super Mario World was spending way too much time at Yoshi's house at the beginning of the game. I'm not sure if either of you guys remember, but there is this treehouse looking thing on World One and on on Yoshi's Island that is like a non-stage. There's no enemies there. There's no objectives. You just enter into that. It's between the first two stages and there's a mailbox a tree house with a fireplace and berries on the tree and then four colored birds at the top. And I was sure that there is some kind of secret there. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Cause it was kind of pre-internet at my house, but I, I thought I heard a yeah. rumor about getting up in the fireplace somehow. So you spent hours just trying to press up or something in front of the I, I would try all the different things. Once I accomplished something in the game, I would always end up back at Yoshi's house to see if I could find the secret. Never found it. Do we know for sure that there's not one? I'm surprised that Dustin doesn't know, but I'm also not surprised that he was that guy because you've been a crazy completionist with games forever, apparently. That's not just a new thing. Kenny, what's your best memory with Super Mario World? My primary memory of Super Mario World is just jealousy because I never had the game. I had a Nintendo, then there was a giant hole in my childhood that was the Super Nintendo, and then I had the Nintendo 64, and I would watch all of my friends play this Super Mario World game. It was such a good game, nobody wanted to give me a turn, and... All I remember is every time I was around this game, I was really salty that I didn't have it. Why are you here? Uh, This is about Super Mario World. (laughs) Listen, it's about our memories of gaming and uh, or lack thereof. And yeah. And and uh, like this game was everywhere and I didn't have it. And that was real in my heart. You can find out whether this guy knows absolutely anything about retro video games at our website, ngppodcast.com, or on any podcast provider of your choice, search New Game Plus. 
That was Extra Lives playing the Overworld theme. Links in the show notes to check them out and support them. We've played Extra Lives tracks on the show before. They are fantastic, amazing YouTube series to check out. Uh, And that was also my friends from New Game Plus podcast. Uh, Links to their podcast to definitely check out as well. They put together a weekly show that is incredibly enjoyable if you want more retro gaming fun. Next in the magazine, we get a closer look at every single world. So in the interest of time, I'm just going to pull out the really super rad stuff, but I do encourage you to track down this issue. So you'll recall, I'm sure with the first world, you're introduced to a choice. You can go left to the first stage, which takes you to the yellow switch palace, or you can go right to the second stage where you first meet Yoshi. So I approached this game as a completionist, even when I was a kid. So I almost always went left to get that first Switch Palace. Uh, The final level in Yoshi's Island is Iggy's Castle, which had the fence mechanic where Mario could climb the fence and pound the gate to switch sides. So you'd flip to the other side. I love that as a as a kid. We'll talk a little bit about that graphically. Uh, Next up is Donut Plains. Nintendo Power points out that the areas with red icons have two exits, one in plain sight and one that is hidden. I did not know this for the longest time. I, I, I picked up on this later in life, but when I was first playing through the game, I didn't realize that the color coding of the actual area icons meant that there were multiple exits. Uh, so really interesting and, and smart move from Nintendo. I wish I really dug through this issue of Nintendo Power as a kid to get, get those finer details. Uh, Donut Plains also has a top secret area that is above the Donut Ghost House. And I'm sure most people uh, have gotten here. This is where you could farm extra lives, you could farm items, and you can get Yoshi whenever you need it to. So it's just a really quick little uh, one screen stage where you could pound some blocks, get some items, get Yoshi and get out of there. On the page that features Area 4 Twin Bridges, it talks a little bit about saving and how you can't possibly beat the game in one play session, which is obviously not true. A lot of people have beat this game in one play session. I'm not sure if I have, but I've come pretty close. Uh, It also mentions uh, when you save that your save file on the title screen shows how many exit gates you've cleared. I always thought that this was a percentage and I actually spent hours and hours as a kid searching for the final gates or secret exits to get me to 100%. I remember this clearly as a kid. I was baffled why I didn't get to 100%. But knowing this is super helpful. I believe there are only 94 gates total. So if I'm wrong, definitely correct me on that. Uh, The next page calls out a few new features, the screen scroll, which allows you to hold L and R to move the screen uh, and the item reserve box, which allows you to store items for later use. So the L and R buttons were brand new to the Super Nintendo. You didn't have those shoulder buttons. The rest of this issue shares just some general strategies for the game. It talks about why to hit the Switch Palaces, when and why to enter a stage you've already beaten, leave it, come back to get a special one-up or a special item. It talks about how to get the different color Yoshi shells and different ways to leverage the extra abilities that you get for getting those different colors. Uh, It talks about uh, how the bonus game works. So it's really interesting to explain how the bonus game works works. Uh, Also, at the end of each level, you cut the tape uh, in that special goal. So the higher you cut the tape, the more stars you get. And that's how you get access to the bonus game. So it it covers all of that. Really great introduction to the game overall. Uh, Tons of hype. This issue is hyping up this game so much. And that uh, that makes a lot of sense. I talked about this in previous Power Time episodes, but they also give away a ton of secrets uh, and and they kind of spoil a bit. So uh, if you've never played Super Mario World, spoiler alert, you might not want to read this particular issue. Uh, And that's been a complaint that I've had of Nintendo Power this whole time going through each of the issues. Not a huge complaint, but just something I've noticed. So real quick, let's hear from guest commentator Run Jump Stomp, uh, and then we'll listen to another track from this game And then we'll dig into the history real quick. Super Mario World is one of those games that is thought of quite fondly by people of my advancing age. Uh, I was 14 when the game came out and my 14 year old mind could barely understand how they had taken 
the formula of Super Mario Brothers 3 and improved upon it. And I know that there's a lot of people out there who would say that Super Mario Brothers 3 is a superior game. But for me, Super Mario World is the best 2D Mario. And I remember uh, the day that we found out that the game was at our local um, department store. This is back before you had specialized stores uh, for just about everything that you need. You would go to the department store and the department store had an electronic section, which is where usually my friends and I would disappear off to whenever our parents dragged us uh, to the store. And one of my friends had come up to me at school and they told me uh, Super Mario World is playable on the Super Nintendo at the local department store and we need to go there after school and check it out. So as soon as school was over, uh, my friends and I all got together. We got on our bikes. We pedaled our little butts up to the local department store. Uh, we went up to the top floor where the electronics section was and walked past the clerk, navigated past the uh, cassettes. Uh, that had, you know, like Thompson twins and stuff like that on there. And right there was, oh, you could almost hear like the music or the, the choir, the choral music of somebody singing, uh, a wonderful song, uh, just telling us you have found the holy grail of video games. And we picked up the controller and we played for a little bit. And then the game would reset and it didn't last for very long. It was always resetting. And my friends and I would take turns playing the game uh, until it would reset. And then the clerk would ev- in- invariably would come back and say, all right, you boys got to go. Now, none of us really had the money to get a Super Nintendo yet, even though we all kind of wanted, or we all really wanted one. Uh, we all knew that we were going to have to wait. So quite often we would ride our bicycles or our skateboards up to uh, the local department store and, uh, go and play Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo right until the clerk would kick us out. And then we would come back the next day and just keep going. And after a while, we could play that first level so stinking well. We were, we were really masters at that first level and we never really got to go very far. But it was incredibly, incredibly fun. And I am really excited to hear Tom's episode about Super Mario World and the launch of the Super Nintendo. Thanks for asking me to contribute, Tom. So again, that was uh, some commentary from Run, Jump, Stomp. I want to thank you so much for sending that in months and months and months ago. Uh, Definitely check out his podcast, Nintendo Switchcraft, for all the latest Nintendo Switch news. It's my favorite Nintendo Switch podcast. Uh, Definitely check that out. And then we listened to the athletic theme by Super Guitar Bros. Uh, Check that out as well. I will have links in the show notes to all of the music. Uh, I love to uh, support these artists and I love to encourage you to support them as well. All right, before we dig into the history of Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, let's be completely honest here. It's impossible for me to cover the full and rich history of what is arguably the best game of the best franchise in all of gaming. A lot of people could make that argument. So I'm going to touch on some of the big stuff, uh, but I'm not going to cover everything. If you want to learn way, way more, uh, head to the show notes and I link up 
to uh, Retronauts episode 36. So Retronauts, fantastic uh, video game history podcast. It covers Super Mario World more extensively uh, than I'm going to. It's a little over an hour and a half, and it's just dedicated to kind of the creation, the history, the legacy of the game. Uh, Check that out for sure. Uh, But I'm going to cover the basics uh, and some of the interesting things that I picked up on when I was doing research for this episode. Obviously, Super Mario World was released in August of 1991. It was one of the original launch titles for the Super Nintendo, and it was included uh, in the Super NES Super Set, uh, which included two controllers, your main console, and Super Mario World, uh, the game. I'm not sure if the control set was available at launch, which would have included one controller and no game. Uh, so I'm, if it was, I'm sure a lot of sad kids uh, picked up the Super NES control set. Actually, you know what? Uh, I, I was going to say at Christmas, you know, opening that up and realizing there's no game. But honestly, if I open up a Super Nintendo, even if I had nothing to play on it, I would be super excited uh, that year. I didn't get my Super Nintendo until about a year or two later uh, at Christmas. Uh, Super Mario World is Nintendo's follow-up to Super Mario Brothers 3, which we covered on Power Time. You can check that out in the archives. Since then, the NES Classic was released with a great retrospective on the game with Miyamoto and Tezuka. Uh, For Super Mario 3, you had Takeshi Tezuka serving as director and Shigeru Miyamoto as the producer As always, I'm not good with Japanese names, so I apologize. Uh, Development for Mario 3 took two and a half years and had a team of 20 to 30 people on the project compared to seven or eight for the original Super Mario Brothers. Uh, So Super Mario Brothers 1, seven or eight team members, Super Mario Brothers 3, 20 to 30 people on the project. Uh, Super Mario World sees the return of Tezuka as director who recalled starting development in 1988. Development ended up being shorter than Super Mario Bros. 3, which is really fascinating to me given the scope of the game and that it's on new hardware. So it really didn't take as long as the two and a half years that Super Mario 3 took. Uh, as an aside, so this is mind-blowing to me. What's even more fascinating is that Tezuka is credited as the director of A Link to the Past, which appears to be simultaneously developed alongside Super Mario World, and he also directed Link's Awakening for Game Boy, which wasn't too far off. So this wasn't released uh, super soon, uh, but it wasn't too far off. And I think it's safe to say that Tezuka is the unsung hero of Nintendo. You don't hear about him as much as you hear about people like Miyamoto. Uh, but in five years, Tezuka's credits contained Super Mario 3, Super Mario World, A Link to the Past, Link's Awakening, and the sequel to Super Mario World, Yoshi's Island. So to have credits like that over the span of just five years, those games being released, uh, it's fascinating and, and just completely bonkers. I mean, those are some of the greatest video games of all time. Um, so there's a really great interview. Uh, I will link to it. It's an official Nintendo.com interview. This one came out uh, when the Super NES Classic was released. A good retrospective on Super Mario World. It's where I got a lot of the information for this episode. Uh, Just digging through some of the cool things as a launch title. uh, One of the things that Super Mario World uh, looks to do, and a lot of launch titles do this, is showcase the functionality and the horsepower of the new hardware, in this case, the Super Nintendo. So you see a lot of the parallax scrolling effect. Uh, You see a lot of the Mode 7 stuff. And we covered some of these in the previews for Super Mario World. Uh, Things like those fences that you can climb and then flip the gate to go to the reverse side. A lot of that was uh, hardware stuff that you just couldn't do on the Nintendo. So it was an exciting time for Nintendo to showcase that. Uh, There's a Japanese interview sourced in Wikipedia that claims this presented some challenges in development because the hardware was brand new. And that makes total sense. I couldn't find any other uh, sources. Uh, Clearly, it didn't take that long compared to Super Mario 3 to create this game. uh, So they must have been doing okay. Another awesome piece of history is the development of Yoshi. Uh, So Yoshi, of course, is a flagship character for the Mario franchise, first appeared in Super Mario World. Uh, Here's a quote from Tezuka. Shigeru Miyamoto said he wanted Mario to ride a horse. When we were making Super Mario Bros. 3, he had drawn a picture of Mario on a horse and hung it on a wall near where he used to sit. 
I would look at that and think, I think he wants Mario to ride something. So it, it kind of seems like the genesis for Yoshi came, uh, came from this idea that Miyamoto wanted Mario to ride something, the original uh, prototype or sketch being a horse. Uh, one of the things they discuss in one of the Nintendo Classic interviews is the uh, frustration around saving in earlier games uh, because you couldn't save in Mario 3. So this is a huge, huge welcome addition to Super Mario World. I definitely, re- definitely uh, recall this. You know, one of my finest memories of playing Super Mario World, one of my earliest memories of playing Super Mario World, and I talked about this in a few older episodes, was first at Sears, the department store Sears, uh, on one of their displays. Uh, so they had a really impressive video game section back in the day and a lot of Nintendo stuff. I think they had World of N- Nintendo um, sections in some of their stores. Uh, every so often you'd get there uh, and someone would have a decent save file on the Super Mario World kiosk or display so you can start at a further point in the game. Otherwise, you just ended up repeating the first few stages uh, until your parents uh, dragged you out of the store, right? Or at least that's what I did. Uh, My other memory was playing with my friend Andrew at his cousin's house, which was across the street uh, from from my house. Uh, So we would go over and we would play uh, at his cousin's house who had the game. And this was before we got our Super Nintendos. So luckily, uh, we were allowed to have our own save file. So we could actually continue the game whenever we had the chance. We could go over and we could make progress. And it was a ton of fun. And all of that was made possible with the new hardware, uh, with the ability to save, uh, which you didn't have in Mario 3. Uh, Super awesome, super exciting. So just to wrap up some of the history stuff, uh, Super Mario World never got a true sequel. Mario World 2 was uh, Yoshi's Island. Uh, we will cover that in a future episode, of course, but it's a totally different game. Uh, Yoshi's Island is a fantastic game, but it's totally different thematically and mechanically. Great game. Uh, and the next true Mario title, I guess, would be Super Mario 64 on a home console. Uh, there was a Game Boy Advance uh, port of super mario world i can't recall if it added anything significant like the mario 2 and mario 3 ports did i don't think there was any bonus content you might have been able to play as luigi uh but i'm not sure i'm not 100 positive uh but i, I want to hear from you so let me know what was your take on super mario world do you remember it fondly have you revisited it uh since its release you can hit me up on twitter i'm at yo power time y-o power time you can let me know i would love to hear from you so we're going to wrap things up for super mario world i know i know we are a little light on the history in this episode it's a bit daunting to cover a game like this so i apologize if you were yearning for more background some of the things that we've covered uh, for previous games we're going to listen to one more track uh, one more guest commentary track as well from a friend of the show david oxford uh, who was interviewed in our summer of streaming episodes back in 2017 uh, it's crazy to say that uh, this is the Subcastle theme by altered beasts <laughs> Fondest memory of Super Mario World or the Super NES's launch? 
Wow, the two are practically synonymous to me, since, well, the game did come out with the console in the States. Uh, my memory is basically not having it. <laughs> I did not get to have a Super NES for well over a year after it launched. It was holiday 1992 before I got my hands on one. Um, amusingly enough, a lot of my fond memories still do kind of come from the launch, though. Uh, I played Super Mario World wherever I found a demo unit hooked up. I have many memories of sore legs from standing in Kmart just in front of the thing for as long as my parents were shopping at the store. Sometimes I'd sit down, you know, if I thought nobody was looking or would mind, but mostly I was standing there. And that was pretty much how I got to play it for the first year. The first time I actually tried Super Mario World was kind of weird, getting used to the new controller. I'd played it over and over in my mind, and the buttons on the new controller, I thought B and A were going to be like B and A on the NES, and it turns out they changed it. And so that took some getting used to. Thinking back about it, though, um, I, th I think probably a lot of my fondest memories still to this day involve reading about the games in Nintendo Power Magazine. I got spoiled for a lot of stuff, sure, but the uh, just checking out the vivid graphics and the new games and just... It was like everything I knew, but better. And re just reading all about it was... Well, that's part of what made Nintendo Power great, is when you didn't have something, at least you weren't totally locked out of it. And I think that's all I have to say about that. And if you're interested in more of my material, be sure to check out poisonmushroom.org. And you can also find me at the Mega Man Network and in the pages of Nintendo Force Magazine. Peace out. All right, definitely check out the show notes for links to Altered Beasts. They are amazing. Uh, I will link to some of David Oxford's content as well, so you can check that out. I want to thank the uh, three commentary tracks that I was able to get for this. Uh, I was originally planning to record and release this episode in May of 2018. Uh, it is now January of 2019, so you can uh, tell what kind of year that I've had, but uh, I just want to say thank you because these tracks were delivered to me uh, in the summer of 2018, and I've just been sitting on them. So I appreciate your contributions to Power Time. Uh, we're going to wrap things up for Super Mario World, tie a nice bow around this game, but we're going to keep this actual episode rolling. The next featured game is Star Wars on the NES. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. Movie audiences first glimpsed the distant Star Wars galaxy in the 1975 mega box office hit Star Wars Episode IV, A New Hope, and have been periodically revisiting it through sequels, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Now the popular Star Wars series is finally being made into an NES game series with direction from Lucasfilm Games, JVC, and programmers Beam have come up with an NES adventure title that follows the first movies in the Star Wars trilogy, almost seen, foreseen. So I'm super hesitant to play any music from the game for fear of some infringement, uh, but you all know the music very well, I'm sure. Uh, we have on the first page uh, the... Uh, game pack data box. Of course, this is going to give you the power meter score, 3.8 graphics and sound, 3.5 play control, 3.3 challenge and lasting fun, uh, and 3.8 theme and fun. Um, so the game was developed by Lucasfilm Games and JVC. Uh, it uses the MMC3 chip, little uh, tech info there. Uh, the star-studded cast here, we have Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, we have Princess Leia, Obi-Wan Kenobi, R2-D2, and C-3PO. The whole gang is here, um, so we get to control the actions of these different characters. You're not just limited to Luke Skywalker, which is pretty cool. Uh, turning the page, it kind of goes through the introduction to the game. You start off in Tatooine, uh, and the magazine showcases all the different locations and items that you can find. All very familiar to anyone who has seen the movie. You spend some time in the Jawas Sandcrawler, uh, which looks a lot bigger in the game than it does in the movie, uh, attempting to rescue R2-D2 
then you retrieve the Millennium Falcon. Uh, you retrieve shield pieces from the Millennium Falcon, which feels a bit off story. I don't recall that happening as part of the plot. Uh, they preview the rest of the game in little snippets from piloting the Falcon and different X-Wings to infiltrating the Death Star and rescuing Princess Leia. Uh, so my memories of Star Wars video games primarily start with the Super Star Wars trilogy, which I absolutely loved on the Super Nintendo. Uh, but I'd be willing to go back and check this one out for sure. I've never played the original Star Wars uh, I've never played the arcane arcade version either, uh, which was just kind of that flight simulator. Uh, I, I've always seen photos, but I've never actually played it. So there are definitely some Star Wars games that I should go back and revisit. If you have a favorite, uh, definitely reach out and let me know, and I will add it to the list. But we're going to keep things moving. Don't touch that dial. That's right. Up next, we have Smash TV. This is an arcade port. Uh, don't touch that dial. Next up on NPTV, stay tuned for a sneak preview of what is sure to be the hit game show of 1999, Smash TV. Acclaim is bringing this Bally Williams pay-per-play arcade hit to the home screen. Now you and a friend can enjoy the fun as you battle your way through the deadly arena filled with fabulous prizes, big money, and sudden extinction. Lock and load and get ready to smash for cash on Smash TV. Uh, this is really cool. So there's some interesting stuff here for Smash TV. Um, Obviously, it's a multiplayer game. If you've never seen this before, look up some photos. Uh, you can see it's kind of a, a, a twin, I guess you would call it a twin stick shooter. It's definitely one of the classic arcade games developed by Eugene Jarvis. Um, it's cool because because it's twin sticks and you don't have dual analog sticks uh, on the NES controller, uh, you can use uh, any pair of controllers to kind of emulate that apparently. So the NES advantages, for example, uh, you can simulate the arcade feel. Just make sure you tape down the two controllers so they don't slip around and don't forget to rotate your advantages 90 degrees clockwise. I'm reading this verbatim. Uh, so if you plug in two NES advantages and tape them down, you can play just like in the arcade uh, with a NES satellite or NES four score that allows you to plug in four controllers uh, two players can play with two controllers each. So I don't know how many people out there were playing uh, two-player Smash TV with two NES Advantage controllers taped together, one turned counterclockwise uh, to really emulate the arcade feel of Smash TV. But I love this. I love that they talk about it. There's pictures here of uh, two NES controllers and two Advantage controllers um, not taped together. I would love to see that. Uh, but yeah, this is just pure Nintendo power here. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on Smash TV, but it was totally a great game. So if you haven't played it, definitely try to find yourself a copy. And uh, I'm sure it, it was ported to other things too. So I'm sure you can find a copy and check that out. Up next, there is a review for Kickmaster. Uh, Kickmaster was an NES title developed by Tato, Vanquish Evil with martial arts and magic. Uh, Tato put out some awesome, awesome action games on the NES. Wrath of the Black Mon uh, Manta, uh, Power Blade, Power Blade 2, and now Kickmaster is no different. Uh, I didn't play this growing up, but just watching some videos and reading up now on, on how this game looks, uh, it definitely looks like it plays awesome. I need to get into this game. Uh, so graphics and sound 3.0, play control 3.8, challenge and interest 3.5, and theme and fun 3.4. So not bad scores. Uh, pretty average but you know the game just looks fantastic i think at this point we're starting to see nintendo power uh move on a little bit from nes titles and, and kind of gravitate more towards super nintendo uh, which is a shame because you have a lot of great games like this coming out uh, according to nintendo power you can gather up to 12 different magic items which have different effects uh, either adding to your attack or your health points but what really uh, struck me was the 10 different kick techniques that you could use in the game. As you gain experience in the game, you learn these abilities, you level up. Uh, so you start with a high kick and a sweep kick, but you might end up with a double butterfly kick or a blazing flip kick, uh, which is a cool mechanic for a single player action game, the ability to kind of level up. It, it almost feels like uh, RPG elements uh, in, in kind of the side-scrolling uh, beat-em-up genre. Uh, lots of fun to be had for sure, and according to Wikipedia, it's one of the earliest games to introduce the parallax scrolling effect on the NES, which is a fun fact uh, that I discovered. The graphics do look really good, uh, so if you haven't seen this game, 
definitely check this one out. Again, that is Kickmaster, developed by Taito. Next up is Worm, Journey to the Center of the Earth. Another review. Uh, I know absolutely nothing about this game. I've never heard of it before prior to paging through this issue of Nintendo Power, developed by Asmic. I, I should clarify, this is W-U-R-M, not W-O-R-M. Uh, the graphics and sound, they actually got a 4.0. Play Control 3.3, Challenge and Lasting Interest 3.5, and Theme and Fun got a 4. Uh, so it did pretty well. I should look into this game a little bit more. Prepare your ship for a drilling journey. So reading the description here, the VZR-2 is missing and presumed lost with its crew of Lemurian explorers from the overworld. Moby, dauntless pilot of the VZR-5, is determined to worm her way into the underworld with the ship's powerful drills to find them. She knows that the uh, she knows that the it's dangerous territory. Nice typo here. She knows that the it's dangerous territory. History shows that the world was united and peaceful some 30 million years ago, but that tranquility has given way to the fractured and hostile earth of Moby's day. Uh, so really interesting premise here. Uh, interesting typo from the Nintendo Power editorial staff. Uh, but let's just move uh, through this issue here. I'm not going to cover a ton of Worm. We're going to jump into Now Playing. So Now Playing is going to feature some other games uh, that are currently available for release. We have a Game Boy feature here, uh, Final Fantasy Legend, which is not turn-based uh, combat like the traditional RPG, the traditional Final Fantasy. It's more of an action-adventure like Zelda. Lots of tips and tactics to help you get through this game and provide some direction. Seems like a really big game for sure. I never played this game at all. I'm really embarrassed to say that. I'm such a sucker for Link's Awakening, so I really should get back into this for sure. Um, yeah, Final Fantasy Legend on my list of games to play. Uh, other games featured here, Tecmo Bowl and Marble Madness. Two great games being ported to the Game Boy. Uh, and in coming soon, we have a teaser for Metroid, uh, mentioning that it'll be bigger than the original. So Metroid 2, bigger than the original on NES, uh, shrunk down to the Game Boy. There's mention of Trackmeet, Monopoly, and Shadow of the Ninja. In Now Playing, there's Eliminator Boat Duel, which looks weird and ridiculous by Electro Brain. And we also have Bo Jackson Baseball. Uh, so some interesting titles here. Uh, but we're going to jump right into previews now. But before we do, let's listen to some music from a preview from our next game. Belmont legend continues, dating back to the family patriarch Trevor, the legendary whip wielders of the Belmont line have sought to permanently cage the count in his coffin. The sinister Dracula, however, haunts them again in the latest, greatest Castlevania adventure. With vivid graphics and double scrolling backgrounds, this installment is the eeriest yet. This is Castlevania 4. And it's kicking off the issues Super Nintendo preview section. Uh, pretty awesome first page here. We have, uh, of course, Konami, eight megabits of action stamped on the page. So you know that you're getting eight megabits of fantastic action. The haunting Castlevania series continues on the Super NES. Uh, it says from the beginning here, and there's a little call out box that showcases Castlevania Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, and Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse. Uh, this seems to be a common thing for the fourth game in the series. Nintendo Power will go back and showcase uh, the first three games, and it's good. I think it's helpful uh, for people who are brand new to uh, the franchise, right? So you can get to know some of the other games if you haven't played them. There were a lot of Nintendo games back in the day, so it's it wouldn't be surprising if you missed Castlevania or Castlevania 2 or Dracula's Curse. 
So the soundtrack to this game might be one of the best on the Super Nintendo, and I'm really excited to feature more of it when we talk about the review of Castlevania 4. So we listened to Just a Taste. We'll listen to a little bit more in a future episode when we talk more about this game, the development, and the soundtrack. But for this preview, it really just focuses on the new whip mechanics. It talks about the first four stages of the game. One thing that made me chuckle was a call out that said, yikes, spikes, uh, to mention that you need to jump over spikes. Very, very 1990s. I love it. Uh, we'll dig in more when we cover this game soon. Up next, we have Sim City. Uh, I don't see any mention here about the NES version, which was ultimately canceled. Uh, I'll, I'll actually link up in the show notes. There's a really great feature on the Nintendo Sim City from the Video Game History Foundation that was released not too long ago. And you can actually get a playable copy of that Nintendo uh, prototype if you want to go back and learn about the history of Sim City. Uh, here, this game looks awesome. This is the Super Nintendo version, very unique port of the PC Classic. I'm sure many are familiar with Sim City. And finally, we have Final Fight. Final Fight is a Capcom title. This is a narrative-driven beat-em-up game. I remember playing this one and Rival Turf. Those were the two beat-em-up games that I love to play with my neighbors uh, on the Super Nintendo. And you pick one of two fighters. You have Hagar or Cody. Very fantastic names for a beat-em-up. Uh, obviously, these games existed on the uh, Super NES, and I'd like to think that the big, colorful, and detailed sprites of the Super Nintendo uh, really allowed them to shine. So you, you you see some bigger sprites with some of these characters and some of these uh, games that are previewed here. This is just a sneak preview of some of the games, and, and this really gets me so hyped for what's to come in Nintendo Power and what's to come in, in power time for this show. This is my era of gaming right here. I absolutely can't wait to dig in more to some of these Super Nintendo titles, especially the early ones, you know, just seeing, you know, what they were able to do with the hardware. These games were so much fun to pick up and play. I'll be playing them alongside some of the episodes as well. So for Packwatch this issue, we're going to be covering some NES titles. We're going to start with Tailspin. This is Capcom's latest Disney adventure, this time focusing on piloting Blue's plane. So in other Capcom Disney titles, you take control of the character itself, uh, Scrooge McDuck, Chip and Dale. In this case, you're flying a plane. There's a note here about a Disney afternoon play tour presented by Nintendo and Capcom, which sounds really awesome. I did some Googling around the internet. I don't know much about it. I couldn't find much about it, but I'm going to keep digging uh, because this sounds like a mall tour, which must have been fantastic. I wonder if there's any swag you can pick up on eBay. Uh, I recently played through Tailspin again on the Disney Afternoon Collection on PS4. Really enjoyable to go back and play that game. I highly recommend it. Uh, other games, mostly based on established franchises that are featured here. We have Tom and Jerry from High Tech, The Adams Family from Ocean, The Flintstones from Taito, uh, and we have Terminator 2 from LGN. Uh, I've never played that, but LGN doesn't have a great reputation. And we have Might and Magic, which is an RPG from American Sammy. Then in Gossip Galore, we have Rocky, Mr. Gimmick, TMNT 3. Batman Return of the Joker, and Bomberman 2. So Gimmick is a fun one because it was never released in the U.S. So it did indeed remain gossip. It very much was in that gossip category. And the Super Nintendo is starting to get its fill of rumors and previews by way of the Super Nintendo Entertainment System Development Dispatch. So this is a new little call-out section. We get a closer look at the shoot-em-up Darius Twin from Taito. Nosferatu, a game that looks like a horror version of Prince of Persia, uh, Super Battle Tank, and we have some rumors here, Super Adventure Island, Ultraman, Home Alone, Wanderers of Ease, Ultrabots, and more. So a lot of great games coming up. And in our next segment of Power Time, That's So Retro, we'll take a look at some of the super 90s things about this issue. Nestor's Excellent Adventures. So the comic for this issue, it features Nestor and the Wild Stallions. So you know immediately we're riffing on Bill and Ted. It seems like Nestor is trying out for an air guitar competition and tries to trick people into trying out on the wrong day. Uh, so then he finds a phone booth to escape the angry mob that gets upset with him once he's caught. And he ends up in Lincoln Park, where he meets Abe Lincoln, uh, interesting play on words, who then teaches him how to play air guitar. 
Very, very interesting, very silly. Uh, the game counselor profile. So every uh, every issue has at least four game counselor profiles. And these are little call-out boxes to showcase some of the people who you would actually talk to when you would call the uh, hotline and the people who actually write a lot of the reviews and do a lot of the strategy in Nintendo Power. So I like to feature these. Uh, in this case, we're going to feature Brian Downey. Uh, he became a game counselor in May of 1990. His hobbies are fantastic. They include reading, snacking, and movies. Everyone loves snacking. Best NES accomplishment, finished Mega Man 3 with one man, and his favorite NES game is Castlevania 3. Uh, two other game counselors listed uh, Crystalis as their favorite NES game. So I want to go back and play that game as well. Uh, so Brian Downey, Roger Harrison, Matt Alderman, and Jerry Hicks, we salute you here at Power Time. Thank you for doing the work that you did. Our next section of the show, are we having fun yet? Uh, we'll breeze through this just because it's a longer episode so far. The celebrity profile this month is Bart Simpson. Bart Simpson was a true celebrity back in 1991, and Nintendo Power had the opportunity to, air quote, interview him. Uh, here are some fun takeaways from this interview. We hear so much about how stressed kids are these days. How do you balance between fun and stuff like homework? Uh, heavy on the fun, easy on the homework has always been a good rule of thumb. Thank you, Bart Simpson, for that answer. Uh, it's funny to hear that kids were stressed back in 1991. Who knows what kids are like these days? Uh, what is your idea of the ultimate vacation? I'd like to take my skateboard to the Great Wall of China and go the distance, man. Do you have any interesting hobbies? With all the time I devote to skateboarding and playing video games, I don't have time for hobbies. Great, great answers from the rude and crude Bart Simpson. The fold-out poster for this issue is F-Zero, and it's an illustration of some of the vehicles and drivers. Serious speed in the 26th century. So F-Zero, of course, uh, coming soon to a Super Nintendo near you from Nintendo of America. A fantastic racing game. Uh, and then finally, we'll wrap things up. Uh, the top 10 out of the top 30 for this issue, we're going to start uh, to just kind of close up things. Game Boy's top 10, Super Mario Land, TMNT, Fall of the Foot Clan, Dr. Mario, F1 Race, Final Fantasy Legend, Tetris, Operation C, WWF Superstars, Mega Man in Dr. Wily's Revenge, and The Hunt for Red October. Those are your Game Boy Top 10. And then out of the NES uh, Top 30, let's go through the Top 10. We have Super Mario Brothers 3, TMNT 2, the arcade game, Mega Man 3, Crystalis, Final Fantasy, The Simpsons, Bart vs. The Space Mutants, Dragon Warrior 2, Tetris, Star Tropics, and Dr. Mario. I'm not sure when we're going to get the Super NES or the Super Nintendo Top 30 or Top 10. Obviously, they don't have that much software yet, uh, but I'm sure we'll be seeing that soon. So in the next uh, issue, we'll be covering F-Zero, Star Trek on the NES, Metroid 2, and Castlevania 2, Belmont's Revenge on the Game Boy. Uh, really awesome. Uh, we have a letter here from Scott J. Peeland, the power editor of Nintendo Power. After three years of writing Nestor scripts, I thought it was time for you fans to get a glimpse behind all the glamour and glitz. The process begins with choosing a short game tip that can fit into a few frames. After that, it's story time. So it's cool. He's talking about kind of the uh, creation of the Nestor comics and the, the basis for the Nestor comics have always been those those tips, you know, like sneaking in those little game tips. Uh, and this is cool. This is a cool little uh, note here. Uh, the back cover for this is an advertisement uh, for the three consoles, two consoles and a handheld that you can purchase from Nintendo. It says triple play. Nintendo gives you the power to choose classic power, portable power, or super power. Any way you play, you'll win with Nintendo three times over. And uh, we have the boxes for all of those products. Super 90s. They're floating out in space. You got stars in the background. The official Nintendo seal of quality is huge on this page. Uh, really awesome. I appreciate that. The intro and outro to Power Time is uh, provided by Azure Flux and used with permission. I want to thank you so much for that. If you want to support Azure Flux and check out his other music, you can do so with the links in this show notes. Uh, other artists that were featured. Uh, so we had 
Extra Lives, Super Guitar Bros, and Altered Beasts. I have links in the show notes to check them out, listen to more of their music, and support them if you can. Uh, I get permission and support any artist that is featured on the show. Uh, And I hope that you will do the same so they can continue making this great music. Well, that's going to wrap up today's episode. And I want to thank you as always for your time and attention. I know that it's been a very long wait. I'm happy to be back and look out for a special announcement in a week or so. I'm really excited for a new project that I'll be working on. Stay tuned for the next one. And as always, play hard, score high, and be excellent to each other. Keep on playing with power.